0: Good morning
1: Fitzroy Good morning Fitzroy from Trisha and John
0: It's lovely to be together even if we have to be apart and we're really looking forward to when we can be back in the church all
1: together again And as we sometimes say in Fitzroy, Hallelujah Good morning Fitzroy Greetings from Maureen down here in Sunny Banger. Though we can't be together physically yet may we all know the truth of Emmanuel, God with us as we worship him together today Good morning, Good morning Fitzroy. Fitzroy. I'm Andrew. I'm Dion. We are in Balinga, Hinge. We miss being in church and seeing people face to face. Uh, let's keep in touch in uh, whatever way uh, we can uh, in these strange times. Um, God's blessing to you all.
2: Good morning, Fitzroy.
1: Looking forward to joining you for worship this morning.
2: Wishing you God's blessing from Desi and Anne. Good morning everyone, uh, my name is Barry and uh, I am up in my house in Green Glen here. Uh, welcome to the Fitzroy service on Sunday the 7th of June and for those who don't think this is live, just look at the clock behind, you see it is live, just coming up to 11 o'clock. So 80 years ago Tom Jones was born and 80 years ago today my mother and father were married. So a big day in our life, uh, of course it passed away many years ago. But anyway, welcome to the Fitzroy Morning Service.
3: Hi everyone, it's the Mitchells here. Sorry we couldn't be with you this morning, but we're really honoured to accept this award for Best Family of the Year. I'd like to thank...
4: It's not an award. What? It's not an award.
3: Oh, I thought this was one of those award ceremony (laughs) video (laughs) things.
4: No,
5: we're saying good morning to Fitzroy.
3: (coughs) Oh, Oh, that's disappointing. (laughs) Oh,
5: good, good morning, morning Fitzroy! Good morning
4: and welcome,
0: welcome to the Fitzroy Morning Worship from David,
4: Sarah,
1: Rebecca, Ruben and Matthew Hall. Hope you stay safe and well. Good morning Fitzroy and greetings from an unusually quiet and peaceful Rugby Road, well outside the house anyway. Uh, <laughs> we hope you're all keeping well and we look forward to seeing you again when we're all back to being infectious in just a night. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
2: Hello everyone, I'm Boyd
1: and I'm Caroline,
2: welcoming you to morning worship at Fitzroy. I hope we're not late. That would be a first. (laughs) Come on, we don't (laughs) want to miss family focus. Good
5: Good morning Fitzroy. Fitzroy and welcome to our service today. We are still greeting you from the manse But as many of you know, Steve is in hospital getting antibiotics. Thank you so much for all of your texts and prayers. We really appreciate it, especially in this already tough week for us. Thank you for your support.
0: This morning's service is therefore a bit different. You'll be hearing an old message from Steve that he did when we were in Taylor University last November. It kind of fits with the theme that he had been preparing all week.
5: The prayers are by Reverend Neil Cregan, who is from Northern Ireland and joins us when he is
0: home. But now he lives and ministers in Minnesota, which you have all seen a lot on our news this week.
5: We also want to thank Doug
0: Gay for an amazing song to end the service. Fitzers, it is how we feel. And Peter Greer has put a lovely video together. Uh, have your tissues ready. Steve and I both needed them. So thank you for joining us today and for your ongoing prayers for Steve.
1: I hope you are blessed, challenged and moved a little closer to our Father's heart today.
3: Bless the Lord of my soul Oh my soul Worship his soul
5: I'm from Indiana in the United States. Steve asked me to choose a reading that describes how I feel about my home across the ocean right now. I've been feeling a lot of grief and a lot of anger as I listen to stories from people who have lived their whole lives without any hope of justice from my government, and a lot of heartache as cities burn and violence continues. A few years ago, I was at a memorial to Martin Luther King Jr. in Montgomery, Alabama, which held the inscription, Until Justice Rolls Down Like Water, and Righteousness Like a Mighty Stream, which MLK famously said in his letter from a Birmingham jail, which I would encourage everyone to read. That inscription was a quote from Amos 5, which again feels applicable today. So this Sunday, I'm reading a passage from The Message. Amos 5, 7-17, and 21-24. through 24. Woe to you who turn justice to vinegar and stomp righteousness into mud. Do you realize where you are? You're in a cosmos star-flung with constellations by God, a world God wakes up each morning and puts to bed each night. God dips water from the ocean and gives the land a drink. God, God revealed, does all this and he can destroy it as easily as make it. He can turn this vast wonder into total waste. People hate this kind of talk. Raw truth is not popular. But here it is, bluntly spoken, because you've run roughshod over the poor and taken the bread right out of their mouths. You're never going to move into the luxury homes you've built. You're never going to drink wine from the expensive vineyards you've planted. I know precisely the extent of your violations, the enormity of your sins, appalling. You bully right-living people, taking bribes right and left, kicking the poor while they're down. Justice is a lost cause. Evil is epidemic. Decent people throw up their hands. Protest and rebuke are useless and a waste of breath. Seek good and not evil and live. You talk about God, the God of the angel armies, being your best friend. Well, live like it, and maybe it will happen. Hate evil and love good, then work it out in the public square. Maybe God, the God of the angel armies, will notice your remnant and be gracious. Now again, my master's message, God, God of the angel armies, go out into the streets and lament loudly. Fill the malls and shops with cries of doom. Weep loudly, not me, not us, not now. Empty offices, stores, factories, and workplaces. Enlist everyone in the general lament. I want to hear it loud and clear when I make my visit, God's decree. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations, and image making, image making. I've had all I can take from your noisy eco music. When's the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. And now the reading from today's Lectionary, like, also um, from the message. Matthew twenty-eight, sixteen through 20. Meanwhile, the 11 disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain Jesus had set for their reunion. And then when they saw him, they worshiped him. Some though held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I will be with you as you, as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. The word of the Lord.
1: gift of life. I'm in that place once again And I'm in that place once again And once again I look upon the cross where you died I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside Once again I thank you Once again
2: Get inside. once again I find you once again I go out my life. Hey good morning Fitzroy uh, coming to you from Minneapolis from the junction of 38th and Chicago that place where George Floyd uh, lost his life here about 10 days ago. Uh, I'm thankful to Steve for inviting me to come and uh, lead you guys in prayer. Uh, this spot in Minneapolis has become, over the last 10 days, holy ground. This is a holy place, a uh, place where life is celebrated. This is not the place of protest. That's a couple of miles from here near the 3rd Precinct Police Station. A friend of mine lost his business in the riots over there, uh, Riz, Riz. Uh, Riz's comment on the riots and losing his business was, if the buildings have to burn for justice to be served, then let the buildings burn. And I think that's a difficult thing for many of us to hear, but such is the plight of the black community here in the Twin Cities, such is the sense of discrimination that they have felt uh, over the decades, over the centuries here in this place. Uh, So I invite you this morning to join with me in prayer as we pray together for justice in our world. Let us pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you have shown us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're reminded in the scriptures that you are the one who created and put all things in their place. And on that sixth day of creation, you created humanity, male and female, in your image. You created them and you placed us on this earth, Lord, to serve you. To take care of this planet and yet Lord very quickly as sin entered into this world we turned to our own ways we sought selfish ends brother turned against brother as Cain killed Abel as nations developed we saw nation turn against nation we've seen wars over the centuries Lord in which Catholics have fought Protestants in which blacks have fought whites nations over territories over religion over any and every issue that we could think of. We have not, Lord, been the people that you have called us to be, a people who seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with you. And so, Lord, we do repent of our sin. We do repent of the discrimination and the issues that we have caused to come between us as humans on this planet. We pray, Lord, that you would help us be a voice of hope, a voice of reconciliation. We pray, Lord, that we would be compelled by your love to be difference makers in this world. For it is your desire, we know from the scriptures, that no one should perish, but that all would find new life in you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we be a voice of hope. May we truly be a witness to the coming of your kingdom. May we be the ones, Lord, who let the world know that you called us to be together, to be be one. May the world know that we are not supposed to discriminate on skin color, religious preference, or any other trait that we might have as humanity. Lord, you are the God who welcomed George Floyd as one of your people into your presence this past week. You are the God that looks on the pain and the suffering of Minneapolis. You are the God who looks on the pain and the suffering of oppressed peoples around the world. And we pray, Lord, that you would help all of us to be a voice for justice. Be near us, Lord. Challenge us. Stir us out of our complacency. Remind us where we are complicit so that we might step out of our complicity. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Renew us. Restore us. And give us hope. In Jesus' name, as we seek to be a voice of hope. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with all of you, uh, and God bless you.
0: Good morning. Now, I know you're going to love this accent. (laughs) But as well as love the accent, because I can... And you would say, that's a quaint accent. That was good fun. We need to try and seek that the Holy Spirit would interpret that accent so that you here in the Midwest might understand it. It is wonderful to be with you. I'm going to speak for a moment just to get you acclimatized to the accent, and then we'll get serious. I came to Upland for the first time in 1993. I drove a car from Redding, California, to Ivanhoe's, Upland, Indiana. (laughs) And that's one of the best destinations I've ever finished anywhere. So I have... For an Irishman who hasn't studied like the wonderful Jamie Carson here at Taylor, I... <laughs> we just worked out that Jamie Carson's father is the reason i married to my wife because he called me to do a mission in his church way back in the mid-80s and I met my wife at that church. So Jamie Carson's father has a lot to answer for. Anyway, I need to... <laughs> I've got a clock in front of me and I need to, I need to move on. But, um, yeah, I, for an Irishman, I've been in Ivanhoe's a little more times than the average. And it was good to, uh, share fellowship again with some, uh, uh some Sundays last night. So, um, I want to talk about reconciliation and peacemaking, but I don't want to do that, uh, outside of some kind of side I want to try and bring it in this morning to our discipleship and spiritual formation. A word I'm using in our church at the moment is Christoformity, that we're to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. And so I'm going to read from Luke chapter 6, but then I'm going to do a, a little lengthier introduction in just something about Jesus' life that we need to really take on board, that Brings us into peacemaking and reconciliation. And I am aware that I am speaking on Veterans Day, and in Northern Ireland today, Remembrance Day is a huge day of remembering those who have been killed or served in conflict. And here I am speaking about peace. Jesus said these words, listen to them well, because these are hard words. They seem to me to be insane words, particularly perhaps. Uh, on Veterans Weekend, or on Remembrance Day. But to you who are listening, I say, Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. just as your father is merciful we pray god would somehow write those words in our hearts and souls and help us to live them out because they are difficult words I want to take us to the a film called the english patient which i must confess i've never seen so here i am speaking about a movie i've never seen i was sharing a conference in england and this speaker appeared for 10 minutes and his name was the Reverend Sam Wells. And he sent me off on insights into the gospel and my following of the gospel that I'd never considered before. And he started with a story about the English patient. If I get it right, Jeffrey's married to Catherine, but Catherine falls in love with Almsy and they have an affair. They're in the Egyptian desert when all this is happening. And it seems that uh, while coming back into this desert place where they were in a, in a little plane, that Jeffrey, knowing about the affair that Almsy's having with Catherine, tries to kill Almsy on the way in, in the landing. But misses, kills himself, and seriously injures, fatally injures, but not immediately his wife. Almsy's left with this love of his life, in real serious critical condition and wonders what to do. So he puts her into a cave to give her some shelter and refuge while he walks to Cairo to get something that might fix her, heal her. And by the time he comes back, she's dead. That's the take that Sam Wells gave me of this movie. And then Sam Wells says this interesting question. Would Almsley have been better being with her while she died than spending the last days of her life trying to fix her when she couldn't be fixed? And does the church of Jesus Christ spend too much time trying to fix rather than being with? And then he takes us to Emmanuel. It's coming this Christmas time, this Advent. But let's leave it until Advent. Let's not go in shopping for presents just yet. The mince pies, well, that's a whole other thing. You can have your own conscience with your Holy Spirit, whether you eat those before Advent or not. But as we come to Advent, we'll hear Emmanuel all the time. And I want to rip Emmanuel out of Christmas because Emmanuel is not for a few weeks at Christmas. Emmanuel, like the cross is for all the year round, is for all the year round. God with us. The Word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. Jesus was with us. God with us. And Sam Wells looks at the life of Jesus, the model we have to follow, and he takes an interesting statistical take on it. Jesus spent 30 years seemingly doing nothing. Three years working with this motley crew of disciples And a few days near the end of his life, fixing something that was broken. And boy, did he fix it. We've been singing about that. But it's a very small percentage of Jesus' life on earth that was spent fixing. 90% of his life was just being with. And I would suggest that the three years of his ministry was about being with too. Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, I'm going to have lunch with you. He doesn't preach to Zacchaeus. He doesn't send Zacchaeus up a few theological ideas for him to think about. He doesn't even send him up scripture verses. He actually just says, I'm going to have lunch with you. I'm going to be with you. And when Jesus is with him, the grace of Jesus in that invitation to be with transforms and redeems Zacchaeus' life. Like the woman at the well in Samaria. He sits down to be with her. And then being with her conversation starts, and the conversation of the grace of God and the truth of God transforms her. Jesus spends most of his life being with, and only a little bit of it, fixing, being with, Emmanuel. God with us. And if we look at the Bible and its wholeness of narrative, does that not make sense? Because if we go back to Genesis and we see why God created the world, we find that it's about relationship. Humanity's in relationship with God. Husband is in relationship with wife. is in relationship with the animals. We even get to name them. And we look after the earth. It's about relationship. If we want to know what we're made to be, then go back to those early chapters and we discover the fullness of our humanity. Go to the end of the Bible and we get to Revelation. And what's happening at the end of Revelation, it tells us that God is dwelling with his people again. God with us. Emmanuel. Humanity is in relationship with God again. And if we read through Revelation, we find that every language, every color is worshiping around the throne of God because we're in relationship with each other again. And there's a river of life that's sweeping through it. We're in relationship again with the creation itself. We're with. And in between Genesis and Revelation, Jesus comes, the word of God made flesh, to be with us, to transform us and redeem us and get us ready for what's going to happen in that great culmination in Revelation. So I've come to conclude since I've been reading a little bit of Sam Wells, particularly his book, The Nazareth uh, Manifesto, that the most important word in all of theology is the word with. And therefore, I have to start asking about the word with in my mission, in my pastoral care, in all that I do as a Christian. Jesus wasn't for us. Because if he'd been just for us, 39 books in the Old Testament would have been enough. God decided being for us from the distance of heaven wasn't enough. He needed to be with us. Mission is not about being for people and you can, we can do fundraisers and we can send money and that's great. But the most important part of mission is to be with, to do the Jesus model and move into neighborhoods, move into people's lives. Pastoral care sometimes cannot be fixed. We just buried a saint in Fitzroy a couple of weeks ago and for eight weeks Janice and I sat around his bed and were just with him. He wasn't going to be fixed. He knew that the fixing was done on the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And he knew where he was going and that that was really fixed. But in this life... It wasn't about fixing. His wife sat with him. His children sat with him. His grandchildren sat with him. The congregation literally almost sat with him. The elders came and spent time with him. Janice and I were with him by his side because the model is Emmanuel. The last thing he uttered to me when I spoke to him, I said, Emmanuel, Stanley, God is with you. And he knew that because that's the most important thing. So when we come then to these verses in Luke chapter 6, we're coming to them out of the model of the gospel. It's not some deluxe room of peacemaking. Oh, I'm I'm going to decide as a follower of Jesus, what will I major in? What will I minor in? Uh, we can't do the majoring and minoring when it comes to following Jesus. It's all encompassing. We have to do all the subjects. And the, probably the greatest of all the subjects is actually reconciliation and peacemaking. It starts with reconciliation with God. And then it moves on to the reconciliation and peacemaking with those around us. We need to be with them. Love your enemies. Don't be for your enemies from a distance. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Don't say I don't hate them. Don't be for some nice idea that, well, I'm I'm not against my enemies. I forgive them wherever they are. No, do good to them. This is a practical outworking of doing good. Blessing those who I'll treat you. Praying for. Being with. Peacemaking is about being with. All the enmity that is going on in our world needs to be turned around. All the alienation between people and nations and colors and races. And Catholic and Protestant in Northern Ireland. It needs to be turned around. So I was a passive for peace for maybe 20 or 30 years of my life. Oh, I preached about it. I talked to my students about it. But I wasn't with any Catholic priests. I wasn't with any of the terrorists on the other side or on my side of the divide. And then Jesus almost had to grab me by the throat and bring me into this discipleship thing that said, Steve, it's not enough to be for this peace. You've got to be with it. You've got to get your hands dirty. You've got to love these enemies. You've got to spend time with them. And I've seen members of the other side in Northern Ireland leave my house. And I've also given a hug to somebody that my family might suggest I shouldn't even be in the same room as. Never mind hugging. Being with is a messy business. When we're active about peacemaking... We get ourselves involved in friendships that are messy. It was messy for Jesus to be with that Samaritan woman. The disciples did not understand. It was messy for Jesus to have lunch with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the betrayer of his people. The people around didn't understand. The people who didn't let Zacchaeus through the crowds to see Jesus and when he came, they just did not understand. We want to kill this guy. We're going to crucify this guy because this guy's doing things and he's being with people. It's just not right. The greatest story or the story that really disturbs me most in the gospel is when Jesus goes, a Roman centurion, a Roman centurion. Let's get the context right. Roman centurion, there was one by the cross making sure that he was dying. It was Roman centurions who beat him up in Pilate's um, uh, uh, office or uh, palace. It was Roman centurions that nailed him to a cross. And before this in the gospel, there's a Roman centurion who comes to Jesus and says, one of my servants is ill and I know you can heal him. And Jesus goes to be with him. And the Roman centurion doesn't really want to be, he doesn't think Jesus would want to be with him. He says, you could heal him from a distance. And Jesus says in front of all these Jewish people, he says, never in all of Israel have I seen such faith. Oh my goodness, it's a Roman centurion, it's a murderer of his people. What betrayal. The relationships that Jesus get into were Messy. They needed courage. He needed to know that when he got into those relationships, he would be crucified. Don't get into an idea that whatever happened in Jesus' life, he was going to the cross because God put him there. God didn't need to put Jesus on the cross. He was on the cross from the very moment that he was born because Herod sent death squads because he couldn't deal with this fact that there was another ruler that was coming to bring another kingdom. When he spoke to Roman centurions like that, when he spent time with tax collectors, when he was spending time with Samaritans or using Samaritans in stories, they were crucifying him. There was no danger of that. That was going to happen. Now, here's the problem we have. As a follower of Jesus, how close are we to being crucified? Are we stirring up the same feelings among our family and friends and community? Are we meeting with the other in such a way that they're going, I don't understand why you're doing that. That's wrong to do that. It's maybe wrong in the world's eyes. It's maybe wrong in the emotion of our hurt. It's maybe wrong in the misunderstanding or fear. But it's not wrong with the gospel because the gospel is all about being with our enemies. The Four Corners Festival that Father Martin and I put together some way miraculously. I actually said in Taylor the last time both of us were here, I sit at one stage um, in a classroom, I said, we, we did this festival and none of us have PhDs in festivals. And Martin leaned over my shoulder and explained, none of us PhDs in anything. <laughs> but when we put that festival together, so many things have happened as a result of people. Our idea was that if we could move people, Belfast divided. we have four corners and there's Catholic corners and Protestant corners and mixed corners and, and poor corners and rich corners. And, and all the corners don't intermingle. You might never find yourself in East Belfast or you might never find yourself in West Belfast. Or And so we thought, could we run a festival that got people across their apartheid boundary of Belfast? And could we get them into a room that would get them in that room that then people in that community might come into and we might find friendships? So one story I want to tell you because I'm looking at the clock. It's right in front of me, not you. And we did this event where we sang some of us Presbyterians from Fitzroy. Protestants sang some Republican songs, that's the other side for us, in a Catholic monastery off the Falls Road, which is the Catholic end of Belfast. So Protestants singing Republican songs, that caused a bit of interest. The BBC turned up and all kinds of people turned up. Um, because we were doing it in the other side of the city and we were singing songs about the other, and it was just a little bit of a subversive mix that really got people's minds thinking. And one of our one of our members in our congregation sang a song that one of the hunger strikers, the first hunger striker, there was a hunger strike in 1981 and Bobby Sands was the, the first hunger striker to die and he was a songwriter. And he wrote this song and, and one of our members sang the song called Back Home in Derry. And he said before he sang it, he said, you know what, I used to sing this in pubs and I had to give it a good, you know, bashing out. But he says, I think it's a bit of a lullaby. So I'm going to sing it more gently tonight. And after the gig, he was backstage and this guy approached him and said, I was in the cell beside Bobby Sands when he wrote that song. And Gary looked at him and the guy said, you got it right. That's exactly how he wrote it. And then Gary said to the former IRA prisoner, The IRA killed my grandfather at King's Mills, which was one of the great massacres of the Troubles. And we have people being with, that had never been with before. Having conversations that they'd never been able to have before. And that's what Four Corners tries to do. We showed, say on Veterans Weekend, uh, we did a, a musical on the First World War. And again, that same Clonard Monastery in West Belfast that don't really celebrate. There'll be no poppies or no parades in West Belfast today because they see the British Army as those who oppressed them. But we did a whole musical about World War I on the Falls Road. And one of the phrases in that musical was, hatred is compromised by friendship. Hatred is compromised by friendship. That's what Jesus was doing those three years he was compromising all of the enmities that were going on in the culture of his day because he was compromising the ultimate enmity between human, holy God and sinful humanity. The veil was torn in two and the enmity was taken away. And in all his relationships, that was what he was about peacemaking, reconciliation. Let me finish with a story from your side of the Atlantic. There was a pastor in Tennessee and he discovered that on his block in a few weeks time a Muslim congregation were moving in. And there was some protests from some of the fraternity in the neighborhood about this happening. And he decided to put outside his church we welcome our Muslim neighbors love your neighbor as yourself. And they moved in and they saw it. And when they saw it, they were absolutely astounded. So they came across the road and shook the pastor's hand and they started being with. They didn't compromise their faiths. They just were good neighbors. Love your neighbor, love your enemy, do good to those. And that relationship developed and they actually began to share some space in their churches. Seems a crazy idea. Well then a few years later, there's a guy somewhere in Florida burning the Quran on 9-11. And it's on CBS or one of your NBC or one of your news reports. We only have the BBC, you have hundreds of them. And they interviewed the two guys, and the Muslim, iman and the Christian pastor, because it was a different story than the burning of the Quran. And the pastor went back home, and he got a phone call from Pakistan. A Muslim community in Pakistan had seen the news report across the world, and he got a phone call from this Muslim community in Pakistan that said, Thank you for befriending your Muslim neighbor. After we saw the news this morning, after worship, we went down the road to a little Christian community and we cleaned their floor for them and we welcomed them into our neighborhood and we said to them, whatever happens in this community, we have your back and we will protect you because we're now going to love our Christian neighbor the way you loved your Muslim neighbor. Friendships spill out. They move with you. If you befriend someone that's another, then their friends become your friends and suddenly everything changes. We had a night, and I'm going to be really quick, we had a night in Fitzroy where this man was talking about the authority of Scripture and the first question for some reason was, tell us about the Apocrypha. And the guy who was speaking had no idea about the Apocrypha, so he did what you would do in that situation. He looked at me and he said, Steve, explain the Apocrypha. And I had no idea about the Apocrypha, so I just looked across the room and said, Father Martin's here. Maybe he could tell us about the Apocrypha. And he did. And there was a stranger, a visitor in the room, and they said to me afterwards, they'd never seen peacemaking in such a natural way before, because it wasn't people on a kind of a platform talking about how they loved each other. It was just a very natural way for friends to say, oh, Father Martin will be able to do that because he's so much a part of our community now and I'm so much a part of his community now that it overflows into peacemaking. So my question at the end before I pray, guys, we are followers of the Jesus of the manger, the donkey and the cross, a humble Jesus who came to be with us who broke down all the enmity between us and a holy God, but also called us to break down any enmity within our society. And I believe, and I'm not going to spell any of them out, you can do that for yourself, that there are a few of those in the United States of America. Are we going to be for peace? Or are we going to be with peace? Are we going to be for mission? Or are we going to be with mission? Emmanuel. God with us. The word of God moves into the neighborhood and loves enemies and does good to those who hate them because in doing that, you will lift Jesus higher than any of the songs we were singing earlier. You will lift him so high that people in Pakistan will go and clean the floor of Christians down the road because of the impact of our love because the world will know us by our love. Let's pray together. Lord, I have no idea who's in the room. I have no idea how your spirit is speaking. But Lord, I believe that many of us seriously want to follow this Jesus Christ. And so I ask you by your Holy Spirit to teach us how and who we should be with. Maybe even in our dorm room. Maybe even on our campus. Maybe even in our community in Upland or our community at home. Here in America, there are so many people that you call us. To love as enemies, to do good to, to bless and to pray for, Lord, your call is to follow Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was Jesus said, the Father sends me, so I am sending you, Lord. Who are you sending us to today? What are you sending us to do in our following of Jesus, Lord? Give us the courage, because it will take courage to be a follower of Jesus with the risk of crucifixion, with the risk of misunderstanding, with the risk of messy relationship, but ultimately will lead us into being those who are ready for the ultimate freedom of revelation, even before you return. Lord, may it be so in my life, may it be so in Belfast, and may it be so in the lives of all of us in this room. I ask it in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Now go with laughter in your eyes and a smile on your lips, a song in your heart and merriment in your soul, and know that the Lord your God loves you with all his heart. Amen.
4: When I was staying away I missed being at church When I was struggling to pray I missed you at the table When I cooked up far too much I missed your hand in my hand When I hungered for your touch Oh, I missed you Yes, I, I missed, missed you, you. I missed you I missed you I missed you in the bar When I was drinking here alone I missed you in the mornings When it didn't feel like home I missed you in my grieving You were somewhere far away Missed you on my birthday, it just didn't feel the same. Oh, I missed you. Yes, I missed you. Oh, I missed you. Yes, I missed you. But one day there will be, there'll be such a gathering. We'll walk together again. We'll sing together again. Such a gathering We'll be together again We'll be together again I missed you on the terraces The silence felt all wrong I missed you at the gig We had those tickets for so long I missed you in the office when we had to work from home. I missed you at the pictures. Watched that movie all alone. Oh, I missed you. Yes, I missed you. Together, we'll walk together again. We'll sing together again. One day there will be such a gathering.